Hi, you're listening to the sermon recording podcast of Awaken Church. Awaken is a church of missional communities whose vision is to see individuals experience healing through the gospel, be raised to their fullest potential among community, and sent out to live a life on mission. You can find out more online at awakenvb.com. And if you live in Hampton Roads, we invite you to check out our worship gathering in the Haygood area of Virginia Beach, Saturday evenings at 5 p.m. Thank you for listening. Those of you guys who uh, know me um, probably are aware I was a musician before I was a pastor. Um, And as someone who has written songs, I sometimes it's interesting that sometimes songs come together like really quickly. Like you can sit down and write them in like 10 minutes and they come out exactly the way that you pictured in your mind. And then 10 minutes later, boom, it's done exactly like you wanted. And then sometimes you have to like hammer and work on a song and it's like pulling teeth to try to get that song the way that you want it and the way that you want it to sound. And sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just get to the point where you're like, okay, that's as good as it's going to get. That's, that's as close as I can get to what I, getting what was in my mind out into the world, right? Um, I've come to learn uh, that sermons are the same way. <laughs> sometimes I have an idea for a message and I, it just comes fully formed from what I'm thinking and out and it just is exactly the way that I wanted it. And sometimes it feels a lot like pulling teeth. And that sometimes you still don't feel like what I'm feeling, what I'm trying to express is not quite out on the paper. And this is one of those weeks, if I'm being transparent, if I'm being honest with you, there's, I feel like there's so much I want to say about the topic. And every time I, I, I sat down to try to write, it just came out like, in like a shotgun blast, right? Like completely unfocused. And uh, so we're going to see how it all comes together this evening. So uh, I'm going to be relying on you to help me bring it all together. As you guys know, when I speak, I like it to be a a two-way conversation instead of a monologue and me just sitting up here lecturing you guys for, you know, 30, 35, 40, 45 minutes. Um, No, not really. You're not going to be here that long. Uh, We're in a series right now called Free. And so we're talking about freedom. And Pastor Philip, who's out of town this week, um, as you guys know, one of his roles here is he puts together the teaching calendar uh, with input from some other people, but he really has the vision behind choosing what series we talk about, what topics we talk about. Um, and so when he asked me to, to, to speak this week, the thing that he wanted me to talk about was spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. And, and the, the thing that he used to kind of uh, talk to me about it was spiritual warfare, he says, is alive and well all around us. And so we've been talking, he started us off last week, introduced the series, talking about this idea of being free. And so what, where he had in mind was this idea that spiritual warfare, that there's these warring forces that we can't see. One side wants us to be free, wants us to live in freedom, and the other side wants us to be living in bondage and to have uh, uh, that spirit of freedom in chains. And uh, I think as I tried to put this together, uh, I had to stop and really think about what do we mean by freedom? What does freedom look like? What do we, when we, I think when we say the word freedom, it can bring with it any amount of baggage. Uh, Philip talked a lot about how our country values freedom. That's one of the ideals that our country values and, um, and that what they think of, what they say when they are talking about the, the concept of liberty and freedom in an American culture perspective may be different from the, what we talk about. We're talking freedom in a, in a, a Jesus in a spiritual context. So uh, if I were to ask you, and I am asking you, surprise, uh, what, try to define the word freedom for me without using the word free in the definition. What is freedom? What does it look like? What? I do what I want. I do what I want. No worries. What else? 
No restrictions. No permanent consequences? Okay. Okay. Independence? That's very close to using free because it's a synonym for freedom, but... (laughs) Okay. Personal responsibilities. Got it. I'm repeating what you say not only to affirm it, but also because the people listening to the recording can't hear you, so I have to repeat what you say or they don't know what you're saying. Uh, Yeah, as I tried to put together this idea, I was trying to come up again. It's difficult. I'm a word guy, right? So trying to define freedom without using the word free or without using a synonym for the word freedom, I found to be pretty difficult. And so actually, you guys did probably better than I did. But as I was coming up with what it meant, what freedom meant, it was this, this feeling of having the power to shape the world around you the way that you want it without anybody else over top of you restricting the ability to do that. So freedom means I have the complete control and power to do the things that I want to do, and that there's nobody that has the ability to limit that power. That would be this idea of pure freedom. And so as I put this together, talking about, thinking about freedom, I couldn't think about freedom, particularly within the context of the spiritual warfare that Philip had in mind for tonight, without talking about power. To me, they're inextricable. They're linked together. I don't know how to talk about one without talking about the other. And so this sets up a question that's going to be on the screen behind me. This is kind of just a tone-setting question. I want you to sit with this for a minute. And then tell me what you think. Don't answer too quickly because it, be it could seem like an easy question on the surface. But I want to know, was Jesus powerful? Was Jesus powerful? And then, of course, to make it a little bit more complicated, why or why not? Do you feel like Jesus was powerful? It's not enough to just say yes. In what way was he powerful? What's that? Influence. Okay. In what way? Like, like, so like historically, like the influence he's had throughout history. Okay. What else? Walked in the full authority of our Father in heaven. That gave him power. He could resist the devil. That's more power than I got a lot of the time, right? He had the power to resist the devil. Good, good. What else? Anybody else? Was Jesus powerful, and why or why not? So he had the power to heal the sick, to in- influence the world around him for the better? Good. Yeah, without sin. Good. Okay, we're just going to let that resonate for a minute, because we're going to come back to that. But I wanted that to kind of set the tone for where we're going to be going. So uh, now let's rewind, go back. We're talking about spiritual warfare. And the reason I thought it was kind of an interesting thing for Philip to choose me to talk about this week is because I don't really consider myself a hyper-spiritual person. And that may sound funny coming from a pastor, right? You may expect your pastors to be like the most spiritual people. Um, You probably haven't been at this church very long if that's still an expectation that you have of your leadership. Um, But I don't consider myself a hyper-spiritual person. And by that, what I mean, uh, when we think about spiritual warfare, I think it's possible for us to think like, okay, I'll be honest, I've known people who they're going uh, to the grocery store and they're pulling in and this spot, there's one spot for them right there at the front. Like they barely had to walk and they were like, oh, God was looking out for me. God gave me that parking spot. And that's just not something that I believe in. I don't believe that every good or bad thing that happens throughout my day is the result of warring factions that either won one out or won one out, right? Sometimes I think things just happen. 
right? So I don't, I, I don't know that I believe that every single thing that happens to us is the influence of good and bad forces, one winning out over the other, right? But that doesn't mean I don't believe in spiritual warfare because I absolutely do. And we're going to look at a passage together in just a second that I think that is one that when you hear churches talk about spiritual warfare, it's one that they go to pretty regularly, right? Uh, if you're not familiar with the concept at all, I've kind of touched on it a little bit, but traditionally the concept of spiritual warfare, as we're going to talk, uh, read about in this, is this, in this passage, is that there are spirits in, uh, that we cannot see that are constantly at war with one another to bring about results in the material world that we can see, right? That's kind of the, a, very, a very broad and, and shallow definition of spiritual warfare. And so this passage is usually one, this is uh, in the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 6. This is one that is usually used to, to justify talking about spiritual warfare. It's used to reinforce the idea of spiritual warfare. So uh, let's, I'm going to read this uh, starting in verse 10. Uh, it's on the screens behind me if you don't have a Bible in front of you, or it's, again, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. So it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So again, talking about rulers, authorities, some translations use the word powers and principalities. These dark forces. This is who we're at war against. Because we're not at war against flesh and blood. Our spiritual war is not against other people. It's not against the person down the street. It's not against the person on social media, right? Our war is against the dark forces, the powers and principalities that exist in this world. And we're called to be strong in the Lord. The very first, the beginning of that passage starts with, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty what? Power. In His mighty power. I wonder if we in the church have a very limited imagination for what that power looks like. What that power looks like. If we are going to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power, I think we need to take care to look and say, okay, what is the Lord's power? If we're going to be strong in His power, because I think there's a power that's present in the world that's very different than the way that Jesus demonstrated wielding power. If Jesus is the example, if Jesus is the way, if Jesus uh, is, is the method, right, then we need to look at the way that he demonstrated and wielded power if we're going to do the same, if we're going to stand strong. So we need to look at that. Uh, before I go on, I want to I have a little bit more dialogue. Uh, I want to take some time to hear what God is doing uh, in you. Um, and so I have another question for us. Um, couple guidelines. Uh, I shared these last time that I spoke, but I want to share them again. Uh, please don't share longer than a full minute. This gives room for others in the room to be able to share. And remember that all of us are different and we have different opinions. It's okay to hear something that you don't agree with and you don't have to use your minute to argue with what somebody else said. Right? Make sense? So my question for you, and this is, again, it's on the screen behind me. So we've talked about was Jesus powerful and why. I want you to imagine what does it look like for the church, right? The, the, the big C church, the not just awakened church, but the church to have power. What does that look like? Maybe, maybe for you it's not about what it looks like. Maybe you, have, you can imagine what people think it looks like. Maybe you disagree. But what comes to mind when I ask, what does it look like for the church to have power? Paul's call is 
for the church to stand in, in the Lord and in his mighty power. So it's understood that it will have it. In the book of Acts, Jesus says, power will come upon you when the Holy Spirit comes. So it's not a question of whether or not the church should have power, but what does it look like for the church to have power? Gifts or talents or what? Abilities? Okay, so like spiritual gift kind of stuff? Okay. Yeah? Church to have influence on the world around us. I really like that. I really like that. Because I think there's different ways that we can have influence as well. So this, again, goes along with what we're talking about. Nicole, were you, uh, did you have something? Hmm. Okay, okay, so not just to influence the world around us, but to be transformed ourselves. We have the power to change who we are and then show that to the world around us. That, that is the power that Christ has given the church. Anybody else? Indoctrination? Okay, yeah, like how do you mean? Just like a vast influence. Gotcha, gotcha. So the ability to have influence like we talked about, but maybe over people that aren't, um, like you said, studying it as carefully or maybe are just not taking the time to really think what they believe, so they just take what's given to them wholesale, right? Okay. So indoctrination. Okay. Anybody else? What does it look like for the church to have power? I like that I'm hearing some positives, but also some negatives, right? Because power can be wielded positively and it can be wielded negatively. And that's some of what we're going to get into in a minute. Anybody else want to add to the, what we're talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, I'm definitely ignorant uh, when it comes to that. I don't know what the laws are either, but that politically or even legally that it can have some power to, to create a, a safe haven or a sanctuary for refugees or, or for people. Yeah, cool. That definitely sounds like it came out of a TV show plot. I like it. I want to know what that was because I'm, I'm on board already. Cool. Okay, so uh, I love what I'm hearing. I love that we're hearing some positive, some negative, uh, because I think that there are different kinds of power that exist in the world or at least different ways of using power or different ways of demonstrating power. Uh, I think that the way that the world wields power, uh, we'll call it coercive. It's coercive power. It's a, it's a way of shaping reality. It's a way of bending others, of forcing others to exist in a certain way. And so if you look at um, things like politics, social media, and culture, usually it's a lot of people vying to be the most powerful, to have the last word, to have the best argument, to have the most support, right? It's a way of coercive power, of bending someone else, regardless of which side you're coming from, the idea that I can win the argument if I can just have the best point, the most support, maybe it's just if I can be the loudest and the most insistent, I'm going to win this argument because of the power of getting somebody else to agree with me or at least to submit, right? I think the way that the world wields power is a coercive power, and that power is different than the power that's present in the kingdom of God. We don't see Jesus wielding power in that way. We don't see Jesus wielding coercive power. There's another passage that, I, that I, I want us to read because Jesus talked about how 
his followers were supposed to wield power. And this is a, this is a, a, a story that I, that I like. Um, there's actually, it's in two different Gospels, but I chose this one for a reason because it makes me chuckle. Uh, this comes out of the Gospel of Matthew, starting in chapter 20. Uh, and so again, you can turn to it if you have something in front of you. If not, it will be on the screen. Uh, screen's behind me. So starting in Matthew chapter 20, it says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked the favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So what's happening is these are, if you're not familiar, these are James and John, two of Jesus' disciples. Their mom came straight to Jesus and said, I have a request. I want my two boys, one of them to sit on your left and one of them to sit in your right. In other words, I want them to be the two greatest in your kingdom. I want your number one, but they're like right next to you, right and left, right? They're number two and two B, <laughs> right? I want them to have just be under you in terms of greatness in your kingdom. Jesus answers her, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? We can, they answered, of course, not knowing what in the world they're talking about. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they, have been prepared by, uh, whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, so the rest of the disciples hear about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. What I like about this is in the Gospel of Luke, this is where the story picks up. It just says there an argument arose about who was the greatest. It doesn't say anything about how it was started by James and John's mom, uh, who were vying and politicking for them. Uh, Jesus called them together and said, this is in verse 25, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles... Lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We have this idea that if we want to have power as the church if we want to bring about power in the kingdom of God, that we need to wage war the way that the world wages war. We have this idea, we look around and we see, uh, if, we, if we look at the way that the church operates in culture, way too often, they look and they, they, I think the church is feeling a lack of relevance. It's feeling a lack of power and influence like we talked about within the culture. It's feeling a lack of influence and sway politically. And the church's response is, if only we could get some more of that power, then we could shape the world to be like the kingdom of God that we want. The problem is, seeking power for the sake of seeking power, you give up quite a bit. And so the problem is, the church already has the power. The church doesn't need to fight in the political arena. The church doesn't need to fight in the cultural arena to gain the kind of power that it wants to see change within the world, to see the kingdom of God brought about. Jesus said in, uh, in the book of Acts that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will have power. I think our imagination for what that power looks like is just too small. The kingdom of God power looks different than it looks like in the world around us. I talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Super Bowl Saturday. I think there are a lot more fans of Jesus in the world than there are followers of Jesus in the world. And the difference is, if, to be a, a, a follower of Jesus, you need to do more than simply acknowledge Jesus. You need to do more than simply appreciate 
Jesus, uh, you need to do even more than worship Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus, guess what? You have to follow Jesus. And so we have to walk in his footsteps in the way that he showed us. We have to follow in his ways and in his teachings. This is why we need to look at the way that Jesus wielded power. And so Jesus, who had the most power, says in this, as we talked about, was Jesus powerful? We've said yes in a lot of different ways and for a lot of different reasons. But the way that he wielded that power was not through coercing other people. He did not get into the political or the cultural arena and say, okay, I'm going to use this power to reshape the world to be more like my Father's kingdom. Instead, he wielded that power by both figuratively and literally giving his life away for other people. He had power in the way that he was present with those who needed his presence. He had power in the way that he served those who were less fortunate, the way that he healed those who were hurting. He had presence with the marginalized. He challenged traditional power structures and who the powerful were of those day, uh, of his day did not like him. The way that Jesus showed us to wield power is very different than I think the way that we naturally feel like we need to seek power in order to see the kingdom of God built. I think uh, the thing about warfare, spiritual or otherwise, um, uh, warfare is not good. I know we have some, some, some military and, and ex-military in the room. Uh, I'm not, so pardon me for, for speaking out of ignorance. But um, the thing about warfare, spiritual or otherwise, uh, is not really good at building. It's good at tearing things down. We cannot wage war the way that the world does, and expect to build the kingdom of God. Uh, I, I heard a, 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 on a, a video that I was watching earlier this week that building the kingdom of God is less like, you know, I don't know if you guys were around, um, if, if you saw the same thing, it's, it's less prevalent now, it's a little less common, but maybe like a decade, maybe 15 years ago, there was a lot of iconography that paired like the, the, the Christian soldier uh, idea together, and I don't mean like a, a soldier in the military who is a Christian. I mean this idea that we're all soldiers in God's army, right? And so we're off, we're off to war against the world. We're off to war against the powers of darkness. There was this big uh, nationwide conference that was called Battle Cry, right? And it was supposed to be this rallying anthem that we all need to, you know, get, get the, the guns of spiritual energy and we need to go out and fight this war uh, in the world, that we need to defend God in the world and we need to do all these things. I'm really glad that I don't see those kinds of things as frequently anymore. I don't think that's helpful. I think it's actually really harmful. It helps us view the people who aren't followers of Jesus as others, as enemies, as antagonists. And if we look at the gospel, that's certainly not the way Jesus viewed other people, even those who were not Jewish, those people who were not his followers. He certainly never uh, antagonized them or viewed them as enemies. He uh, approached them with grace and with love and with patience and again giving his life away and serving the analogy that I think uh, that I saw in a video this week is that uh, building the kingdom of God is a lot more like being a gardener it's a very slow process I don't know if any of you guys like to garden whether it's uh, you know in the backyard or whether you have like a an herb garden that you build or whether you like to do your own vegetables or, or, or just a flower bed that you like because it looks really nice Gardening is, is if, you, if you've done it, it's very slow. You need so much patience. There's so much cultivating that has to happen. You have to prepare the soil. I tried to plant grass in my backyard. I just threw grass seed down, and I thought that was all I had to do. 
No, it's not. You guys are looking at me like I'm dumb, and yes, I was. I thought it was as simple as, you know, there's bald patches in my backyard. I'm going to spread a little grass seed, and it's going to take care of it. My cousin Steve, who hosts our, uh, our Salem MC, uh, when, I, when he was doing lawn, I realized how off-base I was because he was redoing his front lawn, and I realized I had no idea what I was talking about. But the process of gardening is so slow, and it takes patience. It takes gentleness. It takes tact. It takes time. I think that's a lot more what it looks like to build the kingdom of God, what that power and presence looks like, rather than getting involved in the cultural wars of this world. Uh, um, a guy I know, Dan White Jr., you guys, if you were here when he did his Love Over Fear uh, book event that we did a few months ago uh, where he came, uh, he has a saying that I don't know if it's his original or if he got it from somewhere else, but that the church is not called to participate in the culture war of the world. Instead, the church is called to present an entirely counterculture way of living life that's completely counter to the world. So I want to end with this. Uh, Jesus calls us into a different path, and this is the roadmap. If you look at, uh, well, we're going to look at one more passage, it's short. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit. And of one mind. So this is what it looks like to be in one spirit and one mind with the love that Jesus showed. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. We like to think that being powerful means being served by others. But Jesus used his power to serve. As followers of Jesus, we don't demand submission. We demonstrate submission. We give ourselves away first and in doing so, invite people into the space that's created where the presence of God exists. In doing this, we find freedom not through subjugation, not through influence, not through coercion, but we find freedom in our submission. For our missional communities... We're called to give ourselves away into the networks and the neighborhoods where we exist. Many times, and I'll include myself in this, many times we're only willing to be followers of Jesus up to the point of inconvenience. As soon as we get to the point where it's not quite convenient for me, that's kind of where I, I, I check out, right? Yeah, I believe in living in community. I believe in living on mission. I believe in all these things. But as soon as I have to rearrange my schedule or I have to rearrange my checkbook or I have to rearrange my, my activities, the things that I want to do in my free time, yeah, no, I think I'm checking out. That's just not the, the example that we see looking not to our interests but rather to the interests of those around us. Um, again, in the interest of transparency, I've been in a really bad mood today. It's better now. I think it's you guys. But I've been in a really bad mood all day today, to be honest, and um, I had to take the dog out uh, earlier, and I didn't want to do it. One, because it was cold. Two, because I was late. Three, because Philip's out of town, so I had to go walk his dog after I walked my dog. And so I just really didn't want to do it. So I was just going to, I thought about just not doing it, even though he's supposed to get a walk every day. I was like, he can, he'll, he'll live, he'll suck it up. 
But I decided I was going to be a martyr, and so I went and I walked him out in the cold anyway. And as I was walking him, you know, I walked and we did the thing. I'm still grumpy. I'm still grumbling about, you know, all the things that I got to do and the time that I have to do it in. And mad at myself for not, you know, mad at yesterday's me for not managing time better and all this stuff. And, and uh, on the way back, there's a, a, a park that I walk by to get back to the house. And there's a kid sitting uh, on a bench. I say kid. He was a teenager, which I'm old enough now that that feels like a kid. Um, and, uh, and so I'm getting closer and closer uh, to this bench. And... Uh, and he looks up at me, and he gets up, and he starts kind of walking alongside me. And I had my, ear, or my AirPods in, and so I was listening to a podcast. And so I kind of, you know, did like the little double tap thing to, to turn him off. And he's like, hey, he's like, I know you got something you're listening to, but uh, do you mind? Can I, just, can, I just, can I just rap for you for a second? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I thought I heard him wrong, but I was like, yeah, man, like, go for it. And so we just walked together, right? Like we just walked together for like the next three to five minutes and he had a track on his phone. He just called it up and he played it. And he was, and it was, it was actually really good. Like his word, I'm, I'm somebody who like, I know I don't look like a hip hop person. I'm not a hip hop person, but the, the acts that I like, it's usually because of wordplay. Again, I'm a word person, right? And so I love clever wordplay. And he had some really good, like little, you know, wordplay things in there. So I was like, yeah, that was really good. And uh, he was like, cool. He was like, thanks so much. And, you know, fist bump me was where you feel cool because I'm old and not cool anymore. And, and, uh, and I just like, after that, I walked the rest of the way to the house and I just had this like big grin on my face. And I'm like, man, I didn't want to go do this because it was an inconvenience to me. But there was just a small opportunity to be present with somebody else in my neighborhood, somebody that I wouldn't have interacted with before. And we got to share a real human connection moment there. And I, and I didn't want to do it because it was a little cold outside. It was 10 degrees colder than I usually like to go outside, right? Uh, will you throw that uh, Philippians verse back up there? Verse 3. Yeah. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. And finish in verse 4. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Every Christian is a sent one. Every Christian is a missionary. How is your missional community being present and creating space to be present with the people around them? How is your missional community giving your life away in service of the people around you? How are you able to meet people where they are and serve them? Not because it's convenient, but because that is how we experience the power and the freedom that comes with the presence of God. Let me pray. Holy God, I thank you for showing us the way. I thank you for demonstrating what power looks like. That power exists not for others to serve us, but for us to give ourselves away to other people. That if we have power that we don't demand submission, rather we're called to demonstrate submission and create space for your spirit to move. I pray that each of us would have a greater imagination for what power looks like in the world. That we don't get drawn into the culture wars, we don't get drawn into the antagonism, we don't get drawn into the us versus them or the left versus right, whatever the case may be, that we realize that there's a way that you're calling us into a way of submission, a way of power 
through submission. A way of freedom by submission. And I think that's counter to what we normally think and what we normally see in the world. And that's exactly what it's supposed to look like. I pray that you would grow our imaginations. Pray that your spirit would grow maturity within us. That we would know what it means to give ourselves away to the people around us in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our networks, in our missional communities. That we would not look to our own interests, but rather to the interests of others and demonstrate your love for them. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.